0: October for us, it's been amazing. It's it's been all about missions. We've been all about missions. Uh, We brought in three foreign missionaries. So this this month, uh, if if you remember, uh, we brought in somebody from a missionary to China on the seventh. Then the 14th, we brought in Kenny and Deborah Jones, who are missionaries to Haiti, who work with uh, the Hands in the Feet Project, which is Audio Adrenaline. The guy from Audio Adrenaline started this like amazing orphanage in Haiti. And uh, we brought him, uh, we brought we brought Kenny and Deborah in from the Hands and Feet Project because we support their ministry. And then last week we brought in Scott and Ruth, who are in Indonesia. So it's just been a time for us to really uh, kind of pour into other missionaries and other work being done all the way all around the world. In uh, addition to those three missionaries that we brought in, I just want to encourage you guys uh, to know that Courage Church, we actually, uh, our hands are in even more than just that. Uh, we actually, this year in January, we committed to adopting several missionaries. So we, we, we helped one missionary with a mission in Cuba. Uh, we, have, we help a local missionary in uh, at the University of Michigan who's doing campus campus missionary there. We, we support the Los Angeles Dream Center, the New York Dream Center, and now Pastor Chili with what he's doing with Revolution Youth in um, in, Ver- in Vermont. So there's just lots of different things that we're doing uh, to really step up our game uh, and be, to see the gospel move forward all around the world, not just here in Detroit. Uh, and we've been able to do that because of your generosity. So I just wanted to say thank you uh, for, for that. Thank you for uh, your gifts, for your generosity, the, for your, the, the, the way that you live, just bend the hands and the feet of Jesus all around the world. Uh, and we said this at the beginning of the year, and so I just want to take a little time to reiterate this, uh, but when we announced that, when we announced that we were going to do that this year and take on these missionaries, uh, we said even, even though technically what we are is we're a missions church, and what we mean by that is uh, our church is not just about this room. We're very, very intentional to be about the people that are not here yet. So like our church is exists to, to do this, but then to also be empowered to go out there. And a lot of what we do, we have to fundraise for. So we have to fundraise to make Joy to the D happen uh, next in, in a couple of months. We have to fundraise to do the backpack giveaway that we do in, in July. And all sorts of other things that we do to get the Courage House and host the missions teams and all the things that God's been doing. That we, we are a mission in that way. So it can be very easy for us to just hone in always on that and always focus on the fact that, hey, we have enough to do here that we should just Keep it all here. And that's why in January, we were of the conviction, hey, we need to plant some seeds in what God's doing all over the place. And God has been so faithful since we've begun doing that. It's really been amazing. I'm really uh, excited for that. The seeds into what we believe that God's going to do in Detroit, we're planting other places. And, uh, and it's, it just seems like it's, God's just done some amazing things through that. But that being said, today we do want to bring it home. Because even though we know that we're not the only mission, we are still a mission, And we do still have a mission here in Detroit that God has given us to do. And you are on a mission, whether you work at the church all the time or whether you go to the marketplace and you work wherever you may be throughout your day, you are on a mission from Jesus. A very important job. Jesus says this. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. He gave that to everybody. This is why we exist. We exist to do that. So this morning, what I want us to do, it's gonna be a little different. The beginning's gonna be some framework, and then we're gonna dive into a lot on like, it's not gonna be like, it's gonna be a very different message probably than you'd think when you think of mission, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start by reading the verse that we read at the very beginning of the year. We said this is gonna be our kind of verse for the year. Every year we pick a verse for the year. I'm gonna hone in on that verse, explain why we need to keep that forefront, and then we're gonna dive into kind of what we, kind of what we should be doing or what we believe that God would have us to do here on the ground. So if you'd open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. All right, this is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Galatia, and this is what he says. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Jesus Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for all you've done in our community this year, Jesus. Lord, the way that you've opened doors has just been amazing what you opened the door for us to do on Hall- uh, for the Halloween outreach we did yesterday. It was amazing, God. Only you can open doors like that and give opportunities like that, God, and we're thankful for that. And Jesus, right now, we just ask you to be here, present in this room, that you'd be evident and lifted up and exalted in this place today. And Holy Spirit, that everything that you would have me to say, and I would, I would say that, God, only that, And let everything else, every other word, fall to the ground before it ever even comes out of my mouth. Jesus, we love you so much. We are so honored that we get to do what we get to do here in this city, God. Just loving on people. It's In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, for those of you who are here in January with us, you remember we did a mini-series on this passage? uh, Which, I, I think that really, this spoke volumes, even kind of prophetically, in regards to the fruit that we've seen this year as we've hosted more mission trips than we've ever hosted before, as we we did we ministered to hundreds of people at Courage Cares uh, in the spring uh, when we did the medical outreaches. So many people came through. We hadn't done that in years. Uh, we were able to do the backpack giveaway at a level higher than we've ever done it before. Uh, we did this Halloween thing last yesterday that just fell in our laps. And then I believe, that, I believe that what's gonna happen at Christmas, we're believing for the same thing, the same fruit. Hey, we believe it's gonna step it up a notch from even what we've done in the past. It's really encouraging. Uh, if we've had an even bigger impact on people's lives uh, than we've had in years past, just like Emily said at the beginning. Now, thank you so much for that. That was uh, so, your words were so honoring. Um, we're honored to be here, and we're honored to do this with you guys. Um, and I'm excited when I look at that trajectory. I'm excited when I look at kind of what's taken place but if I'm honest with you and I we've and I try to be really vulnerable with where we are with you guys and sometimes it probably gets annoying they're like oh man they're always like bummed out we're not always bummed out but we really have high ambitions for what we want to do so and we try to communicate hey we know what it's like to be on the ground and and it be hard um and I and I have to admit to you that even though this year has been more ministry and more outreach and more more fruit than ever before every single day I still beat myself up over the things that have not happened yet that I thought were going to happen every day for example and i've told you this before but like we want to build this reconciliation table right and god so clearly gave this to us he gave us a vision for it then he gave us a house to put the courage house in the house had a side lot to put the table on that we want to do we have this amazing vision and then this is this but how hard it's been to get this lot build ready is insane Yeah, Brian's laughing because he knows because he helped us try to figure this out. We had rototilled this thing like a bunch of times ourselves. Then we brought in a team to rototill it, and it's still not done. Then we had this company come in. and was like, hey, we have all these big machinery. We're going to do this thing for you. We're just going to come volunteer as a donation to do it for you. And then on the site before they got to us, not at the Courage House, somebody stole all their machinery. (laughs) And then they didn't do it. And then then, then another organization came in and said, hey, we're going to do this for you. And then then I followed up on them and they said, we changed our mind. We aren't doing it because Detroit or something. We don't really know why. And now actually this week, just in January, I'm sorry, why did I say January? On Monday, just on Monday, (laughs) it's been a long life. No, (laughs) no, I'm joking. On Monday, a pastor from a church up north a little ways wrote me and said, hey, uh, we we want to move around some dirt, we want to get that thing going, and we're just praying that that really does happen. So pray with us that that actually happens, because we need that to happen. And we pray that it's simple, because I don't want anything else to be complicated. I just don't like that. Uh, but who wouldn't grow weary, honestly? Who wouldn't grow weary waiting through a process like that? But it has taught me a lot, and I want to share this with you, and, and I promise you that if you hone in on what I'm saying today, I really think that you'll leave this place changed today. I really believe that. There's a very powerful, powerful term that Paul uses. And I I did a teaching on this, and I'm only going to touch on it for a second now. But here, when he says this, he says, In due season we will reap. Okay, the word that he uses here is the word kairos. Indu season is kairos. It's a Greek word that means time, but it's not time as in like measurable time. Like that's, that's chronos. It's another word. Like if you want to say, uh, it's, like chronos is in chronological. So you say time on a clock, or it's 1153 right now. That's chronos. Or it's October 28th. That's chronos. It's measurable. Okay? But kairos, on the other hand, is more about an experience. Okay? It's about something that is coming, something you can anticipate. It's that one moment that redefines everything in your life where all of a sudden, all the sacrifice, and in some cases, even all of the suffering, it's worth it. Like, wow, it's it's worth it. But the reason that so many people never get to where they know that they're called to be and where they're supposed to go is because there's almost always this enormous, uncomfortable gap between where they are and Kairos. And and during that time, it feels like they're they're flooring the pedals in the car, but it's not actually going anywhere. Anywhere. They feel like time is moving forward, but there's nothing to show for it. They feel like they're tilling the yard, but then they have to just keep tilling it again because it's still rocky and it's still messed up. Let's do it again. But Paul tells us in this verse, if you realize what he's saying here, it's kind of a warning and it's kind of a promise. He he basically is telling us if, so that's the warning is if, if you don't give up, eventually you will arrive. If you keep going and you keep working the ground and you keep being faithful in the little things, even when the fruit isn't obvious, then in due season a harvest will come if we do not give up. But to me, those last words are chilling, if we do not give up. Because it's very possible to work for something for so long only to get there to this moment where you don't realize what God's doing behind the scenes. You think he's not doing anything. You don't realize that stuff is actually blossoming and it's about to come up, but you give up before you get to see it. Like, you know how uh, in in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says that we're God's workmanship? He says, you're you're his poem, is what it says. It says, you're his work of art, It's poema. God tells us, you know, you're created for something. But then he says this, he says, but you need to actually walk in what you're created in. It's not like you're just created to do something and you're just naturally gonna do it. It says, we have to actually take the step to walk in what we're created to do. You need to take that step. You need to live your life as if God is actually going to do what you believe he called you to, he said he's gonna do in your life. That he's actually gonna show up in the way that you think he's gonna show up. And because of this, like honestly, because I believe this with all my heart, so because of this, we dream really big dreams. And we have a really big vision because, and when we read the Bible, right, we're like, okay, God, you can do big things, really big things. We believe in big things. But we also understand that the result of that will be a byproduct of the way that we live every single day, day to day to day to day that's, that's, and that, and that's kinda of leading me to where I actually want to go today. So I know that was like a very long introduction, but I had to frame that for you to show you what I wanna show you today. Because the point of what I wanna share with you is how we spend that gap, that gap between the beginning of when God births something in our hearts until the time that we actually arrive where we think that he's called us to go and where we're supposed to be, that's really the lump sum of our story. The lump sum of the story is the journey. It's what happens in between. So getting that right is very, very crucial. So I want to encourage you, first of all, that it's more simple and more effective than we ever even realized it would be. But here's the the reality, okay? Between Kairos and, and between where you are right now and where you're eventually going to go, Kairos, there's this thing called mission. Between where we are right now and where God ultimately says, this is where I have for you, is a mission. And that mission will not only lead us to where we want to go, but it will also be how we take other people with us to where we're trying to go. And along the way, what's going to happen is we're going to hit walls. We've faced them. We're going to hit things we've got to redig dig up, yards we've got to do more stuff with, houses that are going to have more projects. We're going to hit walls, right? There's going to be lots and lots of that, obstacles to overcome, but what I wanna help you understand is that even though we believe in and we anticipate kairos, we'll never have it without faithfulness and ultimately it's not the point. This space between where we are and where we're going is the point. And I'm gonna show you. You could say it this way because a lot of times we talk about vision and this is not a vision message, this is a mission message. But I wanna show you the difference. Vision. Is where we're going. But mission is what we're actually doing. It's what we're here to do. So mission is where we need to spend our time. Mission is where we need to spend our efforts. So at Courage Church, I, I feel like I kind of got this wrong for a long time because people always ask us, what's your vision for the church? And we had a one-worded answer, and I'm going to get to it in a minute. You probably all know what it is already, if you've been here much at all. But I'm realizing more and more that that's not a vision, that's a mission. Jesus never gave us a vision. I believe the Holy Spirit can give us a vision for, for our lives, but Jesus very clearly gave us a vision, a mission. He said, I have a mission for you, okay? He didn't give us a vision. But here's why it matters that we make this distinction, especially if we're, if we're trying to do something in the city like we're trying to do, we're trying to build a community that's gonna make change in our, on our culture and in our city. If you are not on board with the mission of what we are doing then ultimately it will not matter where we end up. It's not going to matter to you where we end up. You think it will, but it won't. If everybody who's a part of this church is a part of it because of where you think we're going, then when we end up somewhere different, because we're going to end up somewhere different to some degree, that's going to be disappointing to you, but that shouldn't be disappointing to you. Or if you're on this mission, it even feels like this mission is veering a different direction than maybe what you thought that it was going to be or maybe what we talked about at one point. If the reason that you're here is where you thought that we were going, then suddenly it's, going to, it's easy to be like, maybe this isn't even the ship for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. i get on another boat. Go somewhere else. But if you're here for the mission and you're, you're here because you believe in what we are actually doing, not where we're going, what we're doing, then you're not going to grow weary between now and where we are ultimately going, what God ultimately has for us, kairos. Now, most of you probably know what this word is, and I'm, but I'm, I'm telling you I'm going to teach you things that you've never heard before because I've never heard it before, until now, and, now I, and I'm so excited about this. The word for our church, kind of our, we say vision, or really I'm going to call it mission, is the word reconciliation reconciliation. And we're going to explore this word because we're going to, I want you to understand your life could be so simple and you could make such an impact on other people's lives if you could just hone in on this one word. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Go ahead and go through your entire Bible and try to find any other ministry that you've been given. Look for youth ministry. Look for kids ministry. Those things are all great. They're not in there. The ministry we have been given is the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling people back to God. Paul, he says it's the most clear right here in verse 18 and 19. He says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself by not counting their trespasses against them. This is huge. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Our job in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever we go and whatever we do, is to meet people right where they are right now. No matter how far they may seem to be from God because of the way that they're living their lives. And we're told by Paul, you cannot define people by what they have done. We don't count people's trespasses against them, just like Jesus did not count their trespasses against them. It says you've been handed, you've been entrusted, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So in our church, we, we bounce everything through that lens. Is this reconciling people back to God? Is this reconciling people back to each other? So listen, the concept of reconciliation is enormous, okay? It is so, so big. In Psalm 23... David says these words of thanksgiving to God. It's a very, very famous passage. We we all know the passage, but God says this. He says, or David says this. He says, God, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, the word table is the Hebrew word shulchan. Now, of course, most of us who know anything about the history of David, we would be be thinking, why would David be rejoicing about a having a meal with his enemies. If you know anything about him, you know that's going to be a very violent meal. It's a very violent man who's done a lot of very violent things. But that's because we don't understand the power and the emphasis of, that the ancient world, and even today in, in Middle Eastern culture, what that world puts on the concept of the table and of meals. In Genesis 31... There's this amazing story about, about Jacob and his father-in-law Laban. And Jacob is frustrated with Laban uh, because he doesn't like the way that life is going and the way he's working him. So he gathers his wives and he steals a bunch of Laban's stuff and they leave. They take off. And Laban is really, really mad about this. And he, he should be. He stole all my stuff. so And my daughter. So he chases him down. And, but when he finds him, do you know what they do? They don't. He doesn't go to war with him. He doesn't kill him, which he would have been in his right to do. Instead, they sit down and they have a meal together. The a covenant meal together. And in this meal they come to terms with each other as to how we're going to be okay, how you can move on and I can stay here and we're not going to be at odds with each other anymore. See, in the Hebrew language, the word for table, right? The word shulchan can also be translated as reconciliation. In In Arabic, it's the same. It's a a solha, and it is just the exact same word. It's reconciliation table, reconciliation table. It's the same exact word. And in uh, Arabic culture, there's something they call a solha, and what it is is a giant meal between two families that have a rivalry going. And in this meal, they say, we're going to stay at this table for as long as it takes to figure out what it's going to do to make us be okay with each other, to reconcile, to to not be at odds anymore. No more violence, no more fighting. So where some people would say, oh, well, the word shulchan it just has two different meanings, I would actually argue it only has one meaning. I would argue that reconciliation and table actually mean the exact same thing. Because the best place to reconcile is the table. And I'm going to show you that in a minute, like how much this is actually in the Bible. Because when you share a meal with someone, listen, okay, when you're at a table with someone, when you're sharing a meal with someone, and you live your life in community like that, you realize the person who's sitting across from me at this table or next to me at this table, they're just as broken as I am, yet they're just as much a child of God as I am. See, when people hurt us, when people hurt us, the main thing we wanna do is we wanna stay away from them. Right? We wanna get as far away from them as we can. I've been hurt by a lot of people in my life. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I've been hurt by a lot of people. And I know that I've done my fair share of hurting people in my life. And when you hurt someone, all you can do is you can pursue them and you can apologize and you can say, hey, is there a way that we can make this right? But when you're hurt by someone, it has the power to destroy your entire life if you let it. You can give people that kind of power if they hurt you and you dwell on it. You can actually cut somebody off from your life Because you're so mad at them for what they did to you, and the fact that now they are totally cut off from your life, there seems to be no more room for reconciliation, reconciliation, and what it does is it leaves you brewing on it. Like, we think if we cut off the thing that hurts us, we're going to be able to heal. And sometimes, ultimately, you need to go separate ways, but never go separate ways until you've actually worked out your differences. If you cut off the thing that hurts you and you never reconcile, it will continue to hurt you for the rest of your life. It's called bitterness. It will ruin your life. It will leak into every area of your life. So, when David says this prayer and he says, Thank you, God, you've prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies, and then he goes on to say, My cup overflows because I'm so happy that you've done this for me. He's saying, Thank you, God, that you have given me a chance to reconcile with the people that I've hurt. Thank you, God, that you've given me the chance to be face-to-face with the person who's hurt me. Not so I can hurt them, but so that I can see in them their humanity and remember how important it is that I forgive them. Now, if you turn your Bibles to Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says two things that are absolutely mind-blowing when you look at reconciliation in this concept verses Matthew 5 when he's talking about anger. He says, don't be angry. Uh, He's explaining the dangers of anger and what happens if you let it go too far. And then he he warns against what it could do to you. And then he says this. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're in church, right, and you're offering a gift at church, and there you are, you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Don't You're you're not giving it at the altar. You're coming back later. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Okay, so in this passage, put yourself there, okay? You're the one who hurt somebody. So you're the villain, really, in this passage. Somebody else has something against you because of what you've done to them. You did something that has the potential to cause someone else to get bitter if they're not careful. Then somehow you find yourself in a setting like this, right? You find yourself at the altar... Yeah, you're in a place where you're like, you're about to do a sacred thing. You're bringing a gift. You're bringing a sacrifice, right? You want to praise God. And, and somehow you've convinced yourself that that's the main thing. I think sometimes we do that, right? We think that being a Christian is about praising God. I think praise is important, but I'm going to show you why it's not the main thing. It's important. It's not the main thing. So we come here with a sacrifice, right? Listen, If you think that you can be bitter toward another person, or if you think that you can do something that you know will cause someone else to be bitter toward you, and then you can just go about your walk with Jesus as if the only thing that Jesus cares about is how many songs you sing to him, or how many cigarettes you didn't smoke because of him, or whatever it might be, you have to reevaluate your faith. Faith is impossible without reconciliation. Faith, saving faith, faith that actually is redemptive and has redemptive power is impossible without reconciliation. It is central, it is completely central to what it means to be a Christian. God sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that we can live out the love of Jesus in our relationships with one another. And our relationships are the model with which the world sees what Jesus actually looks like. So you're at the altar, right, and you're here, and suddenly your mind goes to a moment where you, you remember, somebody has something against me, which I'd call that a word from the Spirit of God. I would call that, that's a Holy Spirit conviction. Wow, maybe I shouldn't be here right now. You went to the altar not thinking about it, and you get the subtle reminder, hey, I need to reconcile first. Then Jesus says this. He says, set down your gift, not on the altar. You're not giving your gift yet. So set it down. First, turn around. Leave. Go find whoever you've hurt or whoever you have something against and do whatever it takes to make it right with them. Then come back and worship God. Then come back and thank God for all that he's done in your life, that he would allow you to reconcile with somebody, that he would allow you to reconcile with him. Reconciliation is the main thing. Now watch this. Turn ahead a little bit more to Matthew six. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. You also get this prayer in Luke. The disciples ask Jesus, "said Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? We don't know how to pray." And Jesus he says to them, he says, "When you pray, this is how. Do not do not heap up empty phrases." like the Gentiles do. Don't give me empty words. Don't say too much. God is not impressed, guys, with your many-worded prayers that make you sound like you're spiritual. He doesn't care. He doesn't. He's looking for something, something else. But notice that, all right, because it's very similar, isn't it, to the language of the altar? It's like, well, wait, wait, wait. You think that praise is the most important? You think sacrifice is the most important? We think that whatever it is we contribute to God is the most important? We think giving, this God, giving God this impressive prayer from Babylon is important? But watch what Jesus says. He says, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what these first two lines are saying is let our earthly lives be a reflection of what is in your heart, God. Let our lives be about the business of bringing what's already in heaven down to earth. Let it be a manifestation here on earth through us of what you're trying to do, of what you are doing. But then he tells us how we do it. He says, and you have to look closely at this, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Which, what does that sound like? Sounds like something to eat. It sounds like a meal. I know we love to say, well, this is just provision. And it is provision, but I'm telling you, it's a whole lot more than provision. Watch. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. The Lord's prayer is asking the exact same thing that David thanked God for in Psalm 23. God, every single day, prepare a place for us in the presence of those who have wronged us so that we can forgive them. Set the table, Lord, with everything that we need that we can be agents of reconciliation in a world that has done evil to us. Let us be the first ones to say that we're sorry even when it's not our fault. Let us be the ones to forgive no matter what it is that they've done to us. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the opportunity to forgive every day. Give us the strength that it takes to forgive every day. Give us whatever it takes to reconcile. Set the table, Father. In fact, Jesus, he actually ends this teaching on prayer by saying that if you don't forgive another person for what they've done to you, that's the one thing that will cause God to not forgive you. Set the table, Lord, because we want to dine with you. But according to your word, whatever we do for the least of these, we do unto you. According to your word, forgiveness is found when we give it away. May we forgive as if our lives depend on it. May we forgive as if our eternity depends on it. May we forgive as if our mission depends on it. Guys, nothing's going to stop a move of God quicker than people who aren't willing to extend that same grace that they've been given. In Hebrew, it's the same word, reconciliation table, reconciliation table. But really, it simplifies an awful lot, doesn't it? When you start to think about it, because reconciliation and reconciling the whole world, it doesn't have to mean growing an enormous church. It doesn't have to mean you build huge platforms and scream loud messages to people. It doesn't have to mean we drop everything and go into full-time ministry or move to Indonesia or move to China. It can mean that, and for some people, it does mean that, but it doesn't have to mean that. It can be as simple as setting a table and inviting someone to a meal. Guys, read the Gospels. Read about Jesus' life. I can't go through all of these, but I'm going to take you through a couple briefly because it's so important. I'm going to give you some. Think about the process of which Jesus called people to ministry or to follow him, right? When Jesus calls Matthew, super simple, Matthew 9, what do they do? They go to Matthew's house and they have a feast, a ginormous feast. When he calls Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 1 through 10. This is, this is insane, if you think about it, because we think about salvation, and we think about prayers, and we think about this, and this, and this. Look at Zacchaeus' story. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' house, which certainly would have included a meal, but either way, it doesn't really matter, and something very strange happens. Catch this, okay? Zacchaeus tells Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to take half of my goods, and I'm going to give them to the poor awesome. Then after that, Zacchaeus says this, and for every person that I've defrauded, right, because Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he ripped a lot of people off so that he could get rich, he made a lot of enemies, okay, for every person that I've defrauded, I will pay them back four times what I took from them. I will give them four times what I stole. In other words, Zacchaeus says, I will take the first step. I will do whatever it takes to reconcile with the people who hurt me even if it means giving every single thing that I have away. And do you know how Jesus responded to Zacchaeus? To that, he says, salvation has come to this house today. No prayer, no baptism, just a heart that had wrapped itself around the fact that the gospel is such good news that if it takes a hold of a life, it makes it impossible to be at odds with other people. Fast forward to the book of Acts, and the whole thing is about meals. It's about taking care of each other. That's the whole thing. Rewind from there back to uh, John 21 after Jesus resurrects, and Peter doesn't know that yet. Peter's gone back to being a fisherman, right, because Peter denied Jesus three times by a charcoal fire. And as far as he knows, Jesus is dead. And what else do you do if you've blown everything in your life and you've landed at the bottom? You go back to who you used to be, right? Right? because who you wanted to be and who you thought you were going to be that's obviously out of reach now but what does Jesus do for Peter he cooks Peter breakfast over a charcoal fire the same setting that Jesus that Peter denied Jesus 3 times at he cooks him breakfast and then while they're at breakfast he makes Peter tell him that he loves him Peter do you love me Peter do you love me Peter 3 times for every time he denied him in a fire he tells him he loves him at a fire. That is reconciliation. Rewind even more to the night he was betrayed. In Jesus, he has one last meal with his closest friends in a place known as the upper room. The technical term for the upper room is the cynical. It's a Latin word that comes from a word that means I dine. I dine. We're eating together. And it's there in this room that he makes this announcement that one of these 12 disciples is going to what? They're going to betray him. But all 12 of them were there. And do you know what he did just before telling Judas, Judas, you're the one that's going to betray me? He washed his feet. Knowing that Judas had Jesus' blood on his hands, Jesus still washed his feet. He served him. It's almost as if Jesus knew that he wasn't going to get another chance, but he wants to make room for the redemption and the reconciliation of the man that was leading him into the hand of his enemies. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So Jesus, he shared one last meal with Judas, and it's during that meal that he washes the feet of his betrayer, and it's during that meal that he says, this is my body. And it's for you. I'm giving it for you. Could you even imagine being Judas? Knowing what you had done, knowing what you had already set into motion, and then hearing this this is my body, Judas, and it's for you. It's for you. This is my blood, Judas. It's for you. Matthew's gospel, it says it like this. It says this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The table is a representation, guys, of what happened on the cross. And every single time we come together and we share in it with somebody, we are demonstrating that same reconciling love that says the people who are sitting with me at this table right now, they matter. I'm here for them. I'll serve them. I'll wash their feet. Guys, that's what makes the gospel so powerful. It's what makes mission so powerful. Is There is a seat for everyone at this table. It's so beautiful. It's about everyone. Mission is about everyone. It is no respecter of persons. It's about loving the least of these, and it's about loving the ones who nobody wants to love, and it's about loving the ones who everybody wishes they knew and could love. Because at the end of it all, they are all equally desperate for the same Jesus. And our goal here, and we're not always the best at this, and I'm sorry for the times that we fail because I know we do it a lot. But our goal here, and we're so trying to do this, is we want to cultivate a romance between you and Jesus. We want to create spaces for people to come back to God. We want to create ways for people to reconnect with one another. That's a big part of why we take communion every single week. It gives you a chance to look up and to ask God, God, are we cool? we cool? And if you feel like the answer is yes, then you take communion. Because like Paul says, every time you take communion, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. If your answer is no, then you take communion as a way of telling Jesus I know that I've screwed up, but your blood is enough. I want to be reconciled to you. And when you take it, you're proclaiming the Lord's death and the power that that has over your life until he comes. But it also gives you the chance to look around, to look around the room, to look around at who's with you, who's here, and make sure you haven't burned any bridges that maybe you should have been building that you haven't put up any walls around your heart because of something that they did to you. And maybe we think that these walls are protecting us because that's what we do, but really all it is is it's boxing you in, it's walling you in to a prison of your own thoughts and your bitter feelings. The table is a reminder, hey, go work that out. Work it out. Then do this, right? Don't do the spiritual act when the practical human-to-human physical thing is so fractured but it's in your hands to make it right and you can do it right in this moment do that first it's just like the prayer it's just like the gift at the altar people matter work on people work that out first work it out with them but beyond that we believe in this church because we believe so much in reconciliation and people ask us all the time about communion we believe that beyond that communion is for anyone it's for everyone because we believe that the cross is for everyone so, when people ask, well, can anyone just take it? This is what we say. We don't go to their past. We don't ask if they said a prayer. We don't say, hey, have you been baptized? We don't do any of that. Instead, we say what Paul said We say, when you choose to come up here and you take the little bread and you dip it in the cup, you are declaring the Lord's death until he comes. You are proclaiming it. You are making a public statement that says, Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. I screwed up. I deserve to die, but because you love me so much, you died in my place. So for me and for us, more important than whatever prayers you did or did not pray, I just want to make sure you at least know what you're saying when you're doing it, what you are declaring, because communion is a declaration of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You are declaring that you're a broken person, but his body and his blood is enough to make you whole. It's enough to redeem you it's enough to empower you to be an agent of reconciliation in our world but when you declare the power of the cross you're not just declaring it in your life you're declaring that the the power of Jesus it's the the love of God and the grace of God it extends far beyond you it's wide enough to cover the entire world it covers even your enemies even the ones who've hurt you and that's good news And that's the way we do it. We'll bring it out in just a minute. And it's just a symbol. It's a symbol here. I wish we would do full meals every single week because that would be more symbolic and more realistic of what it was like back then. We can't do that right now. But it's a symbol. But it represents something more. Communion is a common union of people who've been reconciled together. People eating together. People living life together. Living under the grace of God and enjoying the community that God has given them together. And what it is is a symbol of the cross. It's a symbol of the reconciliation table. In the Bible, guys, Christianity, it, it truly is a meal fellowship. It's people coming together. The Church of Acts, that's all they did. They came together. They broke bread together. They shared what they had with people who didn't have it. They had all things in common. That was, the, that was how they pushed the, forward the gospel. And they used the table as a means to reconcile with the world. And in this small sample of what true communion actually is, yes, I know it's just a taste but it's a reminder of what our daily lives should look like when we interact with our neighbors, when we talk to people who have offended us, when we love our enemies. So like always, as we prepare to do communion together in this moment, my prayer is that you leave this place with a far greater sense of mission, to realize that mission doesn't have to be buildings. Mission doesn't have to be all that. Mission is reconciling with people. Mission is doing life with people. Mission is not holding things over people's head. And my prayer is that you'll have a greater understanding of how important it is to be a person of grace who never holds things over anyone ever. My prayer is that you leave this place with a far greater understanding of what it is that God asks of you and just what it is that you're doing when you invite someone into your home or when you invite someone to share a meal with you. When you help someone when they're in a time of need, when you take the first step toward reconciliation, even when it's their fault, we're trying to create a culture that forgives. We believe that mercy truly circles, just like Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. You're merciful, you're showing mercy. Mercy circles every time. So we give mercy as liberally as we possibly can around here. You know, the vision of our church, the vision, it includes many things that have not happened yet. And all that stuff matters, and we believe in it, and we will work for it. We believe that God can do anything to make those things come true. But the mission of the church of Jesus Christ, the whole church, not just Courage Church, is to reconcile people back to God and to make disciples of them, to go into the world to make a difference. See, the vision is in God's hands, but the mission is in our hands. The mission's in our hands. Let me pray for you, and then we'll take communion.